How long have you? Oh, sorry. Hi, everyone. Dr. Maria Sampalis. Thank you for joining the live event today. Um, I have uh, Ken Brandt. He's the author of Positive Vision. I wanted to have him on the podcast today um, because he, he has a great story um, to tell. And just a little bit of background on him. He's a motivational speaker and author um, and, you know, wrote Positive Vision, enjoying adventures and advantages to poor vision. Um, Ken, can you just give us a little bit of a background on what inspired you to write this book? Sure. Well, first, thanks for having me on here. It's fun, fun to be here and, and meet you in, uh, in, uh, you know, virtual land. Uh, well, what inspired me to write the book really was that I had a, a lot of stories and anecdotes and adventure things that I told people, you know, over the years, over coffee or over beers, and they thought they were really funny and they enjoyed them. And so I thought, well, maybe I should just take them all and, and put them in a book or, or, you know, I was thinking at first an article, but it kept expanding. So it became a book. Yeah. You know, the book's got a lot of positive reviews. I mean, it received great reviews online and, and majority of online bookstores um, and, you know, a lot of... <clears throat> you know, downloads online, but also, you know, selling hardcover, paper books, and audiobooks as well. And, um, you know, is there any way that people can find, you know, this book? Is it on Amazon or is it on a personal website? It's, uh, it's well, first, you're, you're exactly right. It's available in all, all four major formats, you know, uh, ebook, audiobook, paperback, hardcover. And it's available virtually everywhere online around the world. So if you go to any place that sells books or audiobooks or ebooks, you should be able to find it. Just do a search for positive vision, enjoying the adventures and advantages of poor eyesight. And, and it'll, in the vast majority of cases, be there. Yeah. Um, now, you, I mean, you're coming, we're, we're doing this interview. You're in Australia, I'm in the US. Um, can you tell us about, you know, you've been legally blind most of your life. Can you tell us about um, your journey with optometrists and ophthalmologists and opticians? Sure. Well, first, I really am super grateful to everybody who is uh, an optometrist, an ophthalmologist, a vision scientist, a medical researcher, an optician, like without, and a nurse in the field, all of those people have really uh, helped me and tons of other people. Without them, I would not be able to see anything. I've had poor vision my entire life. I was born three months premature and the rods and cones of my eyes just, you know, they, they didn't have time to fully develop. Also, as you can, uh, as you can see, my eyes are slightly crossed and if I'm tired, they're, they're more crossed, but, uh, I'm very grateful for the vision I've had. I've had six eye operations. Uh, I've had a cataract operation in each eye, uh, detached retina in each eye, and two other operations. And it's really a marvel of of what people like you and everybody else in in eye related medical science has done that I can see anything, and it's it's just tremendous. You know, you got to be grateful for every uh, piece of vision you have. Yeah, thank you so much for telling your story. Can you tell us a little bit about, about the book? Sure. Well, I think the subtitle really uh, explains the two parts of the book, and they're all interwoven together. Uh, the, it's positive vision, enjoying the adventures and advantages of poor eyesight. So it's a bunch of adventure stories uh, like, all right, 
so some things are just more exciting if you have poor vision. I, I think in some ways everything is more exciting if you have poor vision. You know, you've got to all the stuff that people with good vision take for granted. You know, you got to be a little bit brave to do many of the same things with poor vision. Um, you know, you, you just don't see as much going on and you've got to pay attention in a different way. So, uh, you know, there's a, a little bit of that, but there's also like big adventures, you know, you know, that are in there that are, are part of the story. And there's also the second thing that covers, you know, most of the book, but again, they're all intertwined is the advantages of, of poor vision. I think it's, it's very obvious there are disadvantages, and I, I completely acknowledge that. But I, I think it's, it's fun and worthwhile and a, a little bit uh, cheerful to also, if you have poor vision, think about some of the advantages. Well, who do you think will enjoy this book? <clears throat> well, it's, it's sort of hard to say because you, of course, can't really do a sample because you don't, you don't know all your readers. You know your friends who have read it, but they're not really a scientific sample. But I think there are two broad categories. One is uh, people who like biographies and adventures and inspiring stories. So that's one whole group. And then a second whole group are people that have glasses or contact lenses or maybe see don't well and, and their families and friends and uh, people in the, in the vision field, such as yourself, you know, that's a second whole category. And, and of course they overlap. That's my, my best guess. Of course, there's other people, you know, you never know, you know, some people, they like the cover of the book and they bought it. You, know, you never know exactly what's going on, but that's my theory. Yeah, you know, for me as an optometrist, I feel that when we have those difficult conversations with patients that are losing vision, if this is an inspiring book, motivational, it might be something that we want to give to our patients to help with them as well. Um, have you received any feedback from optometrists, ophthalmologists, or any eye care professionals? Well, that's one of the really nice, very gratifying parts about having written the book. It, it makes it that and and direct feedback from people who who it's touched their lives but lots of uh optometrists also op ophthalmologists of have written really nice book reviews and have recommended it uh not just to their friends but to many of their patients and and that's you know it really makes me feel good that that that's going on and it, it's helping people and they're enjoying it <clears throat> is it unusual to think about and discuss advantages of poor vision? I think it is pretty unusual, but I think it's a fun, I'm biased, of course, but I think it's a fun topic. I mean, there there are a lot of advantages. Um, um, uh, for example, I think uh, we as poor vision people have an advantage uh, doing public speaking. Now, most people, many, many people are terrified of public speaking. You know, there's those surveys where people would rather die than give a speech. You know, it's like, well, that's, that's pretty terrifying. So yeah. we've got some advantages where, you know, like I can't tell is if I'm looking out at the audience, is it a medium sized audience or a giant audience? You know, I just can't tell. So I'm not intimidated by a large audience because like, yeah, I, I don't know. So and then also, uh, sometimes it can be a little scarier if you recognize people in the audience where you say, oh, wait a minute, that's my boss. That's my boss's boss or that's, you know, whatever. This is a potential client or whoever it is. Well, yeah, I can't see him. So 
I can't I can't recognize them until I'm way closer, and and that's not going to happen when I'm on a stage and they're in the audience. So that doesn't bother people with poor vision either. And then another thing is, uh, often if you're giving a speech, you've got uh, lights on you, so even if you have good vision, you can't see the audience at all. You know, you're just looking into the lights. Well, if you have poor vision, you're used to judging an audience's reaction or anybody's reaction by a lot of non-visual clues, you know? Are they talking when you were hoping they would be listening? You know, are they laughing when you hope they would be laughing? Or, you know, are the, are the reactions right? Are the reactions different than you expected? Well, people with poor vision are all attuned into that, so they can, they can judge that way. People with good vision, you know, they're used to judging totally by vision. Even if they have great hearing, they're just used to judging totally by vision. So we have an edge there. The other thing where I think we have an edge is um, many times you have to have a PowerPoint or slides of some type to show. And I can't easily read my own PowerPoints, even though I'm standing right next to the screen or, you know, standing right in front of the computer that has them. So I have to memorize my speech, the general outline, the flow, the, de the anecdotes, whatever I'm going to be talking about. I've got to have it pretty much memorized and go through it. So a couple of things happen. First, it forces me to practice so the speech is better. Second, I am not reading, literally reading the, the slides, which is a lot of speakers do and is colossally boring. Uh, so you avoid doing that. So that's an advantage. Uh, sometimes I, I, of course, get out of sync with the slides. And if, if I, and that confuses the audience, but if I notice, which, sometimes happens, sometimes doesn't, you know, then I just laugh and explain what happened that I can't see them anyway. And you, and you get the audience even more on your side. They think it's pretty funny too. So, you know, those are all advantages and there's all kinds of other ones related to uh, balance, uh, the joy and advantage of having, of practicing better use of your other senses. Uh, I think there's uh, some, you know, human relations advantages and, and some, some beauty advantages. So there's a, there's a whole bunch of them. It's, it's, there's a half a book full. Yeah. Can you tell us one of your uh, poor vision adventures? Uh, sure. Uh, I'll, I'll try to tell this really, really quickly. Uh, so I'm going to leave out some intentionally leave out parts of it, but here, here's the gist of it. I, uh, when I was in university in college, I, with a couple of friends decided it would be fun to learn parachuting. It's because I like going fast, but you know, I can't, you know, I can jog. That's okay. If I, if I run, I, you know, sometimes I trip over something, but uh, bicycling, I can easily go faster than uh, I can see the potholes and the bumps and stuff and driving. You know, I can never get a driver's license. It would just be, which is good for society. It would just be dangerous if I could drive. So uh, I thought parachuting, you know, they look like they're really going fast and you're just up in the sky. You're not going to hit anything. It looks really fun. So took the course, learned all the stuff. And, and that training was really interesting and fun. And you learn some skills that are useful outside of parachuting. And I, we go up and it, you, you're all in this, you're in this little, little, little tiny plane. I was in a place called, literally, this is the name of it. Downsville, Maryland was where I learned to parachute. Uh, so you go up in this plane and there's only enough room for the pilot who has a seat and nobody else has a seat. The other three or four people, including the instructor, 
are crammed onto the, into the floor. And you take up a lot of space because you've got your big parachute in front of you. You've got your backup parachute in back of you. And you get in and then you, you realize, wait a minute, we just went through this opening that looks like a door, except there's no door. It's just an opening and it took the door completely off. So you're all prepared for jumping out of the plane, but I was a little worried about falling out of the plane just going because I'm sitting a couple inches from the door and, you know, we, you have to take off and fly. And Anyway, it's my turn. So I go out and you, you're hanging on to the uh, underside of the wing. There's this metal bar and your feet are standing on the a metal bar over the wheels of the plane. So you're, you're hanging on for dear life underneath the wing and outside. The engine is roaring. The wind is coming at you. And, and then you have to let go. So you, you, you jump back. And even though you have a, a rope between you and the plane that does the initial pull of your first few parachute jumps, that plane gets really, really far away before that opens. And I've got to tell you, I've had lots of experiences in my life, but I'd have to say one of the nicest feelings you could possibly have in life is when your parachute finally opens. Um, <laughs> and then you land and you get, and uh, I did really well in the landings, uh, much to my surprise, because when I got out of the plane, you know, I'm, I'm going and I, and I realized for the first time, I really should have thought about whether or not I could see the place we're supposed to land before I did this. And I'm looking and I'm going, I don't, I don't know where I'm supposed to land, you know? So I'm, I'm floating down and I realized, all right, everything looks like a farmer's field except this one gray square, I mean, brown square. So I'll aim for that. So I got way, 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 way closer and I realized, oh, okay, wait, that is the airport and there's a circle of people and I got way, way closer. And I realized, all right, good. But you know, had those other fields been brown instead of green, I, I'm not sure what I would have done. But anyway, that happened. Then you get the choice of um, packing your own parachute or not. And I thought, well, I love this sport. This is really fun. I'll pack my own parachute. If you're going to do it, you might as well take your whole life in your hands. And so I did it. I go and pack my parachute, which involves putting it on the ground, spreading it out. And if it's windy, you put little rocks on it, medium, medium little rocks. And, uh, and then you toss the rocks out as you fold up the parachute. Next time I go up, same exact thing happens, get out of the plane. But this time, as I'm coming down, as the parachute opens, bam, 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 bam. I had missed hundreds of rocks and they're like falling all over me in the sky. And I'm thinking, oh man, it's very good that you wear a motorcycle helmet when you parachute. So it didn't hurt, but it was very surprising. And then I looked around below me and I'm thinking, well, I, there's nothing I could do now, but I, nobody, I didn't think there was anybody below me and nobody ever complained. I didn't mention it to the parachuting instructors. So I think it was all good, but I did a much better job the next time. Then after a while, I, I, I actually became the captain of my university parachuting team, which was tremendous and a lot of fun. I really liked all those people. And then uh, talking to my eye doctor, they said, well, uh, it's a very stupid idea to uh, do skydiving if you've had a detached retina, which I had had in both eyes. Because if you have a detached retina and have a giant bang to the head, which could happen, uh, 
you could go blind, you could lose sight in in one or the other eye. So I I gave up parachuting, even though I really enjoyed it and uh, recommend it to everybody who has not had a detached retina. So that's the short version, but there's more parts in the book. What are what are some messages that you give to other people with poor vision? Well, I say, you know, first, uh, you know, do everything you're supposed to do for your general health. You know, do, you know, stay in shape, be right, you know, get enough sleep, et cetera. Do everything you're, that your eye doctor recommends. Get get checkups, go to your optometrist, you know, make sure you've got the right kind of glasses and you wear sunglasses when you're supposed to and when it's bright out. All of those basic stuff and follow, follow all their advice. But then, you know, whatever your dreams and goals are, you know, don't let poor vision stop you. Go for it. Give it a red hot go. You know, you might make it, you might not make it, but go for it. And I, I think that's very important that, you know, the going for it part is, is fun and worthwhile and you just might make some of those things. Yeah. You donate 10% of positive vision um, author royalties to two eye related causes. Uh, which are they, and why do you, did you choose these two? Well, first, I thought it would be good to donate, you know, part of the part of the royalties, just because it would seem like a nice thing to do. And the, the two I chose, I'm I'm an American citizen. I spent most of my life in America, and now I'm also an Australian citizen. I'm both, and I now live in Australia. So I wanted to pick one from each, and so Massachusetts Eye and Ear. Uh, is a hospital and research center in there. They've got a whole bunch of different offices, but they're mostly in Boston. And I had my two detached retina operations there, which were a big success. And it was in the early days of detached retina operations. And uh, they did a great job, I can see. So I'm very happy with that. So they're, they're one of them. And so my donations to them are for eye research. And the second is to an Australian organization called Fred Hobbs. And uh, what they do is they go not just in uh, some poorer parts of Australia, but 20 something countries around the world. They go help people who have preventable blindness. You know, they've got cataracts, but can't afford to do anything about it. They've got some different conditions where if they just had the right eye drops, they could see. So, so they run around doing that uh, all over the place. So those are the two organizations. How I, I'm glad I chose them. Uh, in part because now since I've written my book, I've become aware of so many, you know, dozens and dozens of really great organizations in, in, in America, Australia, and all over the place and other places that are really doing great eye research and great things to help people and, you know, groups of optometrists and opticians and who are doing all kinds of wonderful things. It would be, I just didn't know about any of that stuff till after writing my book and it would be really hard to pick now. Yeah. You know, thank you so much for sharing your story. Again, for people that want to buy the book, Positive Vision, um, I know it's available ebook and audiobook. Where where could they buy it? Tell them about the website if they want to email you. Uh, people, uh, we have Sure, sure. Um, it's, it's available basically everywhere that sells hardcovers, paperbacks, ebooks, and audiobooks online. If they're, if they're selling it, you can go to those, you know, Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Waterstone, any place, and they'll, you know, they'll have it and lots more. So 
Just look up Positive Vision by Ken Brandt and you'll be able to find it. Um, you can also, if you want to, go to my website and there's tons of reviews from all over the place consolidated there. So uh, KenBrandt.com, K-E-N-B-R-A-N-D-T.com. You can't buy it there, but it has links to lots of places that you can buy it. And anybody wants to connect to me, I'm on LinkedIn and Facebook. And anybody who has any questions or wants to discuss anything, I'd be happy to connect uh, with you and talk about anything. Yeah, thank you so much for joining. And I think I think this book would be great for optometrists and ophthalmologists to have um, and present to their patients as they have those difficult conversations um, for patients that had good vision at one point and maybe cha- changed over the years as well. And, and patients where they can connect with, with, with someone that's gone through it and has a positive mindset on it. So thank you so much, Ken, for joining. And I hope that the listeners got um, some good information um, that they can take back from their clinics. Yeah, thank you very much for having me and, uh, and all the best. <laughs>